Mediated Conversation on SAFM. 26 minutes to nine, the time. Good morning. Over the weekend, it emerged a man linked to gangs in Cape Town had literally walked into the council buildings in the city and tried to demand that half a billion rands worth of business be given to companies linked to those gangs. In short, it appears this person was trying to force council officials to give 500, 500 million rands worth of business to organizations controlled by a man called Ralph Stanfield. Stanfield faces serious charges, including attempted murder, and has been accused of threatening people who refuse to give his company's contracts. This is all related to what's often called the construction mafia. Many, many times you've heard about these groups of armed men who go to a building site and demand they be given the business of building that con- that project. If they don't get the business, they use violence and sometimes kill people working on the site. The city of Cape Town sends it, says it's spending millions of rand just protecting construction sites. In KwaZulu-Natal, people have been killed. The company Kelgo M3 has actually refused to work in KZN because the violence is so bad. Last week, President Cyril Ramaphosa said he was telling these groups they had to use legitimate means to secure business otherwise government would deal with them. But he has promised in a previous State of the Nation address to stop this kind of thing from happening. As you know, it does not appear as if the police have been able to stop these groups. So, how much influence do these groups have? How were they created? What measures work to stop them? First this morning, the impact of these groups around the country and how they stop construction from happening. Roy Nisi is an executive director at the Master Builders Association. He's at Master Builders in South Africa. Then, an intriguing view on how they were created. Tamsankra Malinga is a director at Mkabai Management Consulting. And finally, what works to try and stop these mafias from growing? Jenny Arish Koboshiani is a researcher at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. She actually wrote a report on the rise of these organizations. We start then with Roy Mnisi, Executive Director at Master Builders South Africa. Roy, good morning and thank you for your time. Uh, good morning, Stephen, and to the listeners of SAFM. Thanks for having us. What impact does the construction mafia have on your businesses, on the operations of your members? Uh, Stephen, it's uh, bad indeed. Uh, the illegal site invasion have had a very devastating effect uh, on the sector. There are quite a number of them, Stevens, but chief amongst those is uh, the delays and the abandonment of the project by our members because when these things happen uh, they lose uh, work hours they have to stop uh, working in some instances and in some instances they've got to completely leave the project it has increased the cost of doing business the margins are very low Stephen, in the construction sector and losing few days uh, of work having to pay people this and that kind of uh, demands you end up with nothing at all uh, in some instances we have seen our members having to go to uh, private security companies to help them to deal with this situation. And when you go out to get those kind of assistance, you've got to pay for it. You made a point earlier on, Stephen, about uh, the law enforcement. We do not find uh, a situation where law enforcement in the country has been uh, very helpful uh, to our members in the main. Uh, The loss of revenue, uh, Stephen, due to delays and penalties on this project. A lot of companies have uh, closed shop uh, due to fear of attacks. Uh, loss of revenue, and most importantly is the loss of employment, Stevens. A lot of artisans and professionals are sitting at home having lost their job. And uh, Stephen, lastly, I think uh, what needs to be mentioned here 
it's uh, you know the 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 the, the phenomenon perpetuates and breeds poverty. You have got a lot of uh, government government projects that um, are, are abandoned. You're talking about school projects, clinics, uh, dams and bridges, and so forth. So those are some of uh, the devastating impacts of uh, this phenomenon of uh, construction uh, mafia or illegal site invasion that uh, we are facing as the construction sector, Stephen. Have any of your members tried to fight back? Very difficult and very dangerous. It is very difficult, Stephen, precisely because <clears throat> contractors themselves are not fighters. Contractors themselves are not trained you know, to fight and protect themselves. Uh, all they know is to build and adhere to issues of occupational health and safety. If somebody comes, I mean, uh, shooting a gun, uh, pointing a firearm at you, quite honestly, you have got nowhere to go. You cannot fight back because we don't go to construction sites, I mean, armed uh, at such a level. Even if we were to, that's not our business. So we've been mainly relying on the police to assist us with that, Stephen. Is there any indication the police are able to protect you? I mean, I realize a construction site by its nature is quite difficult to protect, but do the police do anything? Um, we have seen some instances uh, where the police have been uh, responsive, Stephen, but uh, most of uh, the times um, they haven't been able to assist at all. Um, our members have had to resort to various ways of protecting themselves. I mean, amongst those was to approach uh, courts. Uh, it hasn't been working very well because of the nature of the crime. Uh, it's mainly criminal rather than civil. So if you go to court uh, to apply for interdict, it becomes very, very difficult because there are a number of people, some of them, you may not even know who they are. So it becomes a citation problem in court papers. But over and above that, uh, some have tried to hire security companies, you know, to protect them, as I've indicated earlier. But most of the construction companies cannot afford that because it's a luxury. You haven't got a lot of money to employ security companies to protect you. So those are some of the things that we have been battling with. We call police in some instances. They come. In most instances, they are not able to do that. We are very much encouraged by um, what um, you know the government has been saying, not doing. I must indicate that uh, Minister Zikalala has been engaging widely with us as the industry, and we commend him for that. The president was in case that and he spoke up, up about uh, several things that the government will be doing including uh, you know the police unit that has been established to deal with this however Stephen, i must indicate we are yet to see whether that will be effective or not but um, for all the other times that um, you know announcements have been made to say that we are going to help you by doing this and that to keep this uh, violence to keep this crime we haven't really been seeing it on the ground and our members they day in, day out, are complaining about the same thing. So, yeah, there's a loss of hope in some instances because uh, it's not what we would have thought. We would have thought that uh, government will be protecting this project, will be protecting these companies because uh, companies are corporate citizens paying tax and they are supposed to be protected like any other citizen in the country, Stephen. Thank you. It's not just the, it's not just the companies who suffer. It's not just you who suffer as a builder, as a master builder. It's also the people who are supposed to live in the homes and offices and schools that people need. They, that infrastructure just doesn't get built. I mean, there's a famous school in KwaZulu-Natal where uh, the extension just was never done because people are too scared. 
Yes, that, that is correct. Uh, there are a lot of uh, private sector projects that have been, uh, you know, left as uh, they are. And the communities are losing. Not only that, Stephen, uh, the, the government is even paying more because we are aware of certain places that are called, uh, you know, uh, hot spots uh, areas. When there's a tender in those particular areas, some of the contractors are not tendering because they know the problem that they will be facing there. So you sit with the situation where you have got only few contractors that are responding uh, to uh, the tender out there. And as a result, you are likely to be not getting a competitive price. And well, contractors uh, have got to price in some of these risks. I mean, they are aware of this and they've got to put it in the price. And the government end up paying a, a lot of money and it affects everybody in that sense. Roy Mnisi, thank you very much indeed. Executive Director at Master Builders South Africa, representing people in the building sector. You were there, SAFM, at 17 minutes to nine. Your mediated conversation around the situation around the construction mafia continues. Tamsankra Malinga, this is Director at Umkabai Management Consulting. Tommy, good morning and thanks for your time. Good morning, Stephen, and good morning to the listeners. There are different sort of theories and understandings and interpretations of how these groups came about. You actually blamed a political party. Why have you done that? Well, I blame the political party, Stephen, because um, when I when uh, do, doing so, it came out of um, years of observation and and uh, doing quite a lot of, you know, desktop study and um, research in terms of under. Um, going through community meetings, um, especially in my ward, and observing at, uh, um, the, 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 the infighting of projects that were happening in, in within my ward. And, uh, you know, why guys then started bringing in the issue of, you know, being it a political issue rather than a community issue you know um I'll, I'll, I'll quickly give an example you know we live in a in a world that is not anc but the the, the, the councillor said okay let's come up with a project steering committee that will look in terms of all the projects and make sure that people within the community benefit from the jobs that are taking place it's quite a huge word and we elected a a, a project steering committee and within the next meeting it it was all of a sudden called a, a a business forum and and people were like saying yeah but you are not uh, a, a a member of a, a branch within this world and i was like but this is not an anc meeting why are people now bringing in branch issues and why is this now called a forum a business forum and then i started digging deep into what are these business forums. That's when I understood that there is quite a lot of business forums of these business forums that are, are, are mushrooming in KZN. And then I started studying these business forums that they, they, they have now started going into construction sites and started demanding 30%. And these business forums were now starting to also mushroom in, in, in some parts of Johannesburg. And they were now also, you know, mushrooming in, in, in the Western Cape. And they had now, they had now a strong grip in, 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 in KZN. So that's when then I understood that this is actually an ANC issue. Um, this mafia thing actually was born out of ANC structures. 
Did, do you think the A party knew what was happening? Um, I mean, I don't know if centrally it did. Did it just sort of happen organically at local level in some way? And the same thing kept happening. Yeah, it, it, it happened organically. You know, the ANC is a party that one leaves off uh, largesse and decreasing of pounds, you know. So at, at that point, it, it was just happening at very, at grassroots level. And it's something that they were not thinking it's going to snowball into this uh, uh, into this magnitude. So for me, it, it's one thing that I write off to say, you know, the party did not pay much attention to it because it was just at that point in time, it was just comrades that were, you know, trying to live off each other. They were just trying to say, yo, you know what? Um, you need to give us 30% because we know about about this tender and we know how you got this tender because you creased so and so's palm in the in 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 the in the, in the municipal offices. So um and and we were bidding for the job. Hence you got the job and you are not from this area. Hence it, it hence I saw it in my in, in, in my ward because people were starting to say, but you are not uh, your branch is, is not from this ward. So it, that's how it happened in KZN. People were saying, but you are not from this area. So according to the uh, the procurement laws, 30% of the job is supposed to be for, for us, it's supposed to be reserved for companies within this area. So you got the job, so you're supposed to give us 30% of the work or else you are not operating. That's when they were starting to muscle in on the jobs. So the guy who got the job had no option but to give them 30% because he knows that he had greased someone else's palm for that. So um, he had no problem to grease the pound because these guys were going to make noise at some point about these jobs. If the 30% rule was scrapped, the localization rule, would that change anything? That is what even the Growth Lab uh, report said. You will remember last week when the, 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 the Growth Lab report from Harvard said, it says that's the one of the problems with our procurement system. That's the 30% rule. So we need to also revise that but and see how we, 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 we make it better. I think it's not a matter of just scrapping it, but how we, we, we make those systems better and how we make sure that we plug in the holes. Thank I you. don't want to say, let's make, let's scrap it, because then someone will say, uh, oh, you think that you're clever now, we, you, you, you're killing the economy and making sure that those locals are not getting the jobs, but how do we plug in the holes and, and, and revise those type of laws? Tom Sanka, thank you very much indeed. Tom Sanka Malinga is the director at Mkubai Management Consulting. In a moment, Jenny Irish Koboshiani from the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Your mediated conversation around the construction mafia will continue. Mediated conversation on SAFM. Continue your mediated conversation around uh, the construction mafia. It's nine minutes now to nine. Jenny Irish Koboshiani is a researcher at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. Jenny, good morning and thanks for your time. Uh, my mistake. I need to actually put you on. Sorry about that. Jenny, good morning. There you are. Morning and morning to your listeners. Um, uh, you heard um, Tam Sankar Malinga's sort of interpretation of how the construction mafia started. Uh, he's also suggested the 30% localization role does play a factor. Uh, do you agree? Is that your understanding? I mean, I would imagine each yeah. sort of branch of the mafia had a slightly different, or each branch of this yeah, no, uh, had a slightly different thing. I think that I think that um, I think one thing you have to understand with this is that this is organised crime. 
um, it isn't just about politics. I think political narratives may be used to justify, and you find that internationally when you look at extortion. This is nothing more than extortion. Um, and it and and what we're seeing is that when it, when it's successful, it starts it start mushrooming elsewhere in the country. And we're not just talking about government projects and and tenders where there may have been problems. We're talking about um, even even private businesses, private construction sites being targeted for this. Um, and and while there has been some political narrative and there are some political links. It is actually, from our perspective, we would see this as organised crime, and extortion is a, a, a classic extortion that takes place around around the country. Is it so organised because it works? I mean, people are clearly getting a return for not much effort. Absolutely. I mean, we we saw it start in KwaZulu Natal, and it started in Durban, in fact, and then it spread to other parts of KwaZulu Natal by. By 2018, there wasn't a single construction site, be it government or private, that wasn't being affected by this. And then we started seeing it spread to to the Eastern Cape, Western Cape, Kaoting, and at the moment it is throughout the country. And what in the Western Cape, as you reported earlier, we've seen the gangs who are also who who have been involved for years in other forms of extortion, jumping on the bandwagon and saying we're also going to get involved in this type of extortion. And just to be clear, we're not talking about, you know, one organization with a sort of godfather somewhere. We're talking about different groups doing the same thing. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you're talking about groups mushrooming that that in many senses are organized. They come on sites highly armed. Um, they have an agenda when they come on sites, etc. And I think that that the interdicts that Mr. Lisi spoke about, I mean, in, in the early stages in KwaZulu-Natal, I think there were 51 court interdicts issued um, and they had very limited success, um, partly because you don't know who all the players are and partly because you interdict a specific person and tomorrow another person pitches up at, at the sites. But what is concerning is if you go through those interdicts and you see the kind of violence um, and criminality that took place, there, ha- there was very little response from the police to, the, to, to those interdicts. So I realize it's difficult to guard a construction site. But, would, but I would have thought that um, the police response, if you were to just place a police officer, not a nice job, but two police officers on a site, on a particularly big site in an urban setting close to other police stations, that would probably be enough. And that's not what's happened. Well, I think if you look at how these these groups operate, um, certainly um, when they're asserting their authority in the area, they would come on sites very heavily armed. So, that, so, so they would be carrying semi-automatic firearms, etc. So security is one thing, but whether security can deal with that sort of firepower, for us, more importantly, is that you have a response when it happens from, 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 from the police, a, a, a constructive response where you send people onto the sites when, when you get a report of it happening. And then secondly is the follow-up investigations and prosecutions of people that are involved in these types of activities. There must have been cases where some people have known that their site was about to be taken over. They didn't tell the police. And I mean, they must have been tempted to take the law into their own hands because they'll know the police do nothing. You know, I think that that for many of the construction companies, as Mr. Nisi said, they are not security, and they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. They're not security experts, um, and for them, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. And more that what has happened more is that some of the 
um, construction companies have just said, look, we'll just pay it because it's easier than, mm-hmm. than having to deal with the violence at our site, the damage that happens on the site, as well as, um, as, well as all the standing fees and delays and whatever else that the construction companies face. And while I understand why those companies are doing that, what it does in the long term is normalizes extortion and it makes people recognize that that kind of extortion can be successful. Do you find that different groups of construction mafia, or whatever we want to call them, gangs, extortion gangs, end up in conflict with each other over sites? Absolutely. There have been incidents where people have, where construction companies have come to an agreement with one business forum and the next day another business forum arrives on, on the site and says, but hang on, we're a different group. Sure. And they haven't had armed clashes between them. I would have thought that would come next. Um, there have been a few a few conflicts, but we haven't seen those kinds of armed conflicts. Generally, it's the construction companies that pay the price of that. Has this happened in other countries? And I realize extortion is almost a universal. But are there other countries that have been able to deal with the sort of construction mafia or extortion groups or yeah. groups involved in extortion around construction sites? We have seen that the construction industry internationally is is an industry where there has been significant extortion. And we've proposed, and I think it's proposed in the report, that we, we look at some of the international best practices. I mean, one practice, I know Italy is, is a very different country, but extortion there was extremely, um, w- w- was extremely prominent and very much linked to organized crime groups. And they launched an in- initiative in, part, in some of the provinces called Farewell to Extortion. And it was a comprehensive project that involved communities, it involved business, and it involved government. And it basically covered a whole lot of different aspects. It covered involving the communities and saying, we're not, not in our name, we're not going to put up with this, not in our name. We, we, we'll consult with the businesses, we'll engage with the businesses, um, but we're not going to allow this kind of extortion in our name. It involved the business communities standing up and saying, we're not going to pay this extortion. But, we, but also it involved government and community supporting the businesses in their stance because you can't ask business to do that if they're not going to be getting support from government or, or from the communities. And then it involved government, both, both local, provincial and national government in, in taking steps, supporting, um, supporting communities that stood up to this extortion, supporting businesses that stood up to this, putting in place early warning systems and actually responding to extortion and with both both immediate responses and with prosecution responses. And that worked really well, and it's something that we think there needs, we need to look into because we're seeing this now start to, start to move into other sectors. The construction industry has been very badly hit, but in the, in the mining sector you're seeing what they call the procurement mafia, which is often very similar people doing similar, similar operations. Thank you very much indeed, Jenny Irish Koboshiani, a researcher at the Global Initiative Against Transnational Organized Crime. My thanks also to Tamsanka Malinga, Director at Mkabai Management Consulting, and starting us off today, Roy Mnisi is an Executive Director at Master Builders of South Africa. Well, we've had mediators about the construction mafia before, and frankly, it just seems to get scarier and scarier.